I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Hello, welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Kate. This is Mike. And we are so excited to bring you an episode today with one of our dear friends, Laura Garnett. And Laura is a performance strategist, a TEDx speaker, and the creator of The Genius Habit. And her brand new book is by the same name, The Genius Habit. She works with CEOs and executives to identify their unique genius and purpose and craft an actionable plan to leverage them in their day-to-day work. She has consulted with organizations including Capital One, Pandora, LinkedIn, and Instructure. Prior to launching her own company, New York-based Garnett Consulting, she honed her marketing strategy and career refining skills at companies such as Capital One, American Express, IAC, and Google. So... Laura is a tracker. She tracks everything from her workouts to her sleep to her money. And she created an amazing tracker for performance for executives, CEOs, and entrepreneurs. And I just, I have loved being friends with Laura over the years because she is so good at supporting people to identify their zone of genius and work from that place so that their work is joyful and also productive and also fulfilling. So that's what we talked about on the episode. We did. Anything else you want to add, honey? I like it. So if you're a person that's not a tracker, and by tracker, as Kate already mentioned, it's tr- she literally tracks everything. She has spreadsheets for everything. It's, un- it's like talking to her. It's unbelievable. And But what's cool about it is we were on video recording this so you could see her as she's talking. About, like she just, it's like, yeah. It's like what we would talk about, I, I'm i just going to go to the bathroom, you know? And so you just go to the, you know, and it's just very casual. That's what I'm saying. Her tracking. From, yeah, for her, where a lot of, it'll really stress a lot of people out, where it's when she mentions this to think, because a lot of times we compare ourselves to what other people are going through or doing and that we have to start doing all of this. And she's like, yeah, I buy these wearables and I track and I look at it and I, you know, and she just is taking data and it's just data collection is all Laura is constantly doing all the time. I found it really a great episode. Her and I kind of have the same, we've talked about it on the podcast before regarding triggers. So being seen. And so we basically have pretty much the same thing on that. So if that is a trigger for you about always wanting to, or feeling that you need to be seen doing some things, we explain kind of what to do about that. Yeah, and also what was so cool, and I'll just give a teaser on this, is she talked about how to actually utilize your core emotional wound as a strength in your business or in your work. And I had never heard anybody like describe it this way. So you're going to love that. And if you are somebody who wants to feel more joyful every day at work and feel like you're really on your purpose and you know, utilizing the time that we have in our life that we spend working optimally. Like she just talks about that work does not have to be a slog and this normalization that we have in our country that, you know, work just kind of sucks is not actually okay. And so, yeah, you're going to love Laura and she's going to give you some tips to make your work life more joyful, more productive, more purposeful. Mm -hmm. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Laura. (laughs) Welcome to the Kate and Mike show. You have three beverages right now? Laura has three beverages. You yeah. are a woman after my own heart. <laughs> yes, and they're all full of ice. 
Yes. I yes. Know. What, okay, Thank so you. Your kombucha, water, I and what else? Kombucha, water, and green tea. And oh, nice. My Yeti. Oh, I love that you have three beverages. Yes. So, so Laura and I met at a conference in Boston, though we both happen to live in New York a couple blocks from each other, but we met at a conference in Boston. We were having lunch together and then we went to pay and we pulled out like identical wallets. And then I don't know if you remember this, Laura, but I looked at you and I was like, I know this is a little weird to say, but I feel like we really look a lot alike. <laughs> and I this- do remember. I think Nancy who introduced us said the same thing. Like you kind, you guys could be sisters. I know. Yeah. It, you just got all the tall jeans. So... <laughs> And then it turns out we just have a lot in common, including our love of ice. And I didn't know that you also like to drink three beverages at the same time. So So we're just learning another thing that we're about how we're saying. That is hysterical. Yeah, I am the beverage. People laugh. I always have multiple beverages. It's so good. Kate's mom is the queen of it, though. She has every meal, every time we go out, it's like three to four beverages. You know, starts it is. With I think it's genetic. Yeah, I do think it it's genetic. Yeah. yeah. Do you like to drink hot beverages at the same time as cold? Or Absolutely. Just- well, I have hot yeah, tea cold, right cold, now. Cold, that's cold, so cold. Hot. hot tea. Oh yeah. Hot tea and okay. my yeti. That's super hot. Yeah. And super cold, full of ice water. At, no, I like the contrast. The, right. The contrast. <laughs> yes. New York City country. This is this is my life. Yes. This is your life, and yes. you're also a new mom, and then you're also you know, an author and running a business. So that's a lot of contrast too. How old's your, how old's the kid now? Little Zoe. She's 17 months and a couple weeks. So how have your last 17 months been? <laughs> I could write a book about that. Yeah. Yeah, you could. <laughs> Maybe that's, Maybe that's the, the next, next one. one. <laughs> it has been, oh my goodness. I mean, well, you guys know it's been more joy than I could ever expect. And then also more work than I could ever expect. So it's that combination of both of those. And, you know, like right now we just finished a huge growth spurt that was pretty intense. So we're going into a, a they show, you know, on the little app, it's like their sun coming out of the clouds. Oh, on so the I feel like, Yeah. So yeah. I feel like we're, well, that's even, the joy is even more when it's like a good time. So. Have you yeah. found that it actually lines up with that app? It does. Amazing. Yes. The Wonder Week stuff is amazing. I mean, she's done now. She's now completed her last Wonder Week, and I'm wondering what's the second book. You know, no, I'm, I know that the growth spurts don't end at 17 months. Like, she's done growing now. I think they have, like, a whole thing after that. They must. So, I need to find it. This is part of your – okay, so we're talking today about a lot of things because we just love you, and it's a great, it's a great joy to get to talk to you on our podcast. So we – and it connects in with – and this is the subtitle is how one habit can radically change your work and your life. Here's what I love about this book. It is so you. And so like you are fully inhabiting your zone of genius through the writing of this book, because I will never forget when I found out, and I don't know if this is true. I'm going to tell, I'm going to have you tell about the things that you track because I don't want to talk about anything that you don't want to talk about. So can you talk about you and tracking? Yes. Let's talk about the track. You know, that's such, you're the first person to ask me this question and I'm so delighted by it. Um, You're going to laugh, but I'm going to start with my most exciting tracking instrument, which is the aura ring that I'm currently wearing. And um, if anyone, you know, for those that that are listening. Yes. Okay. I've heard about it. 
Yes. Anyway, so it's supposed to track your body temperature and your heart rate and all of these other things. So I actually just got this, so I'm testing it out. But so I track my sleep, I track my activity and my steps. And then I also track, this is, you know, going back to your first book to my, you know, all of my spending and my saving. And I have probably three or four different spreadsheets with my money. And then I also track all of my daughter's sleeping and pooping habits. So I'm tracking everything with her as much as possible. Those are the highlights. How long have you been, how many years of the spreadsheets of the money do you have? Like when did you start doing that? Was that like from day one when you were out on your own in the world, earning your own money and spending your own money? Yes. Well, my spreadsheet goes back to 2010. Okay. So that was probably when I started becoming a real, that feels like that's not, that's only nine years ago and I'm much older than, I think that's another spreadsheet. It was probably 15 years. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. The data, the data on your life. And I also know that you've been committed to exercising five days a week also for your entire adult life. Yeah. Do you track all that too? Yeah, do you that track? was on the, the activity tracker. I used to do have a Fitbit. Now I have the Aura Ring, which tracks that as well. I do sometimes for fun look back and see, you know, how many hours was I hiking in the summer five years ago? That interests me. You are so funny. Okay. I love this about you. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, no one in my family is like this, you know, in terms of psychology. And this is another thing that's happened with the book and the baby and everything is that I've become even more aware of my psychological wounds and my psychology. And my brother and sister and I are getting closer and they're all the same psychologically. But this tracking thing is very, nobody in my family does this. So I don't know why I do it, but I think it's a component of my genius. I absolutely think it's a component of your genius. Now, does the tracking bring you awareness more or does it create as more, like, of course it brings awareness, but... Or is there stress associated with tracking? So let's say you miss today, but I know you won't miss today because you go back oh, 15 I years. I miss today. I'm right, but... Miss. You know, it's, it, there, it can be obsessive because the one time my Fitbit wasn't working and I was, I felt I had, a, there was a loss. It didn't stress, it stressed me out a little bit, but I just love it because it brings me so much joy. But here's the thing, my genius is an inside excavator. So I see patterns in data mm-hmm. and... To me, having the data allows me to see patterns and it's so exciting and enjoyable and energizing to me that, yeah, I think this is, it's a stepping stone. It's part of my, me being challenged in the way that I want to be in life. I got more okay. tracking questions. More, okay, great. Yeah. Are, are you I'll, I'll segue when you're done with your okay. tracking question. So for somebody that is interested in tracking, because there might be somebody that's like, this sounds like a good idea, but where do I start? Well, our listeners, you know, we talk a lot about tracking your cycle and tracking yep. your energy. I mean, that's yep. a huge yes. piece of what we talk about. So we're trackers over here. Maybe not quite yep. the level you are, but. So, okay. <laughs> I have two questions. Number one is what's a great thing somebody wants to start? So let's just say they want to start tracking their activity. And should they, would they, like an aura ring or a Fitbit be a good thing for that? The iPhone, I know, tracks the health on the health app. Yeah. Or is it like creating a spreadsheet or a notebook? Like what's the easiest way for people to get started tracking? Because whether they're tracking their activity or any, like tracking money, right, is a great tool. Absolutely. I think the first question is what do you want more awareness about? Mm -hmm. You know, 
what do you want more awareness about? I mean, in the, the, my work, the performance tracker that I created, that's more awareness of how you're performing. How are you showing up? Are you challenged? Are you fulfilled? Are you actually building the habits that are critical for success? So it provides awareness. I mean, if it's working out, to me, the question is, am I really pushing myself? Why am I not losing weight? Why am I not feeling more fit? Okay, let's start tracking, and then you can build awareness. And then, I mean, there are endless tools. I mean, I've found the tools that work for me, but I feel like just Google, you know, exercise trackers or fitness trackers and find something that's going to work for you. I did not want one of the watches because I have a watch and I actually like my watch. So I went for stuff that was more subtle, like this ring or the Fitbit that I could wear under my clothing. But I think it depends on the person. Well, and the data does show that we get improvement in the areas we track. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Even without changing our behavior. And so that, Absolutely. do you think that's a component of, I mean, obviously there's so much to your performance tracker and the intention is to change our behavior, but do you think that partially you get a better result in your performance just from paying attention to it? Totally. I mean, I feel, I mean, look, I am a genius habit professional. And I tell people, I write this in the book, you don't have to fill out the tracker every day for the rest of your life or every week. It's a weekly thing, but I do, you know, I do fill it out because sometimes even though I know what I need to do to get where I need to go, because I've learned it so well, I still have questions such as, you know, am I really pushing my comfort zone as much as I want to be? That's a question I have frequently. And I'm that the tracker helps me touch base on that and really evaluate if I'm really, you know, kind of pushing myself in that way. So Um, does the performance tracker work no matter what your goals are career-wise? Absolutely. I mean, the performance tracker is meant to help anyone get more awareness of how they're performing at work. Now, I would say if you were super advanced, you know, those are the people that come to me and I work with them one-on-one. I do customize their tracker over time because... I'm working with them and we're seeing deeper issues. And so I'll customize the tracker to really address those things or gather data. I mean, you know, your book is experiments. I love to suggest that with people like let's ask some different questions and get more data to understand this particular issue more easily. So, yeah. So I have a couple of friends who are in career transitions. Yeah. You know, they used to work in jobs or they used to be freelancers or they're now going out on their own. There's, you know, a whole gamut of scenarios. So let's say somebody is starting over. They've experienced a tremendous shift in their life unexpectedly. And they're starting over in their career, looking for the next thing. They're pretty open. It could be running their own business. It could be getting a job. It could be working in nonprofit, like like really open. So where do you recommend, because I love the premise of your book that hating our jobs has become normalized, but it's, it's not normal. Like the the premise that we can all love our work and that sometimes it's not even about the job itself. It's about how we're doing the job. I just think that that's so insightful and such a powerful idea. So I would like to know what's a question or a few questions that this person in transition could begin to ask them to begin to hone in on their zone of genius. 
Well, I would first, I would direct them to the book because I would say number one with anyone that I work with one-on-one and it's the beginning of the book, it's to learn their genius and learn their zone of genius. And that begins, the first question you could ask them is when were you last in the zone? And what does being in the zone feel like? Define like yeah, being in the zone means that you're so engaged with the work that you're doing that you lose track of time or you feel super energized or you're just whatever you're doing is finished and you're like, whoa, I'm so excited and I'm so energized and charged up. And to me, that is using your genius, which is more of an intellectual piece of performance. Purpose and fulfillment comes from your heart. That's more of a question of when were you most fulfilled? When was your heart, you know, you felt like, wow, my, I feel like I feel in my body that what I'm doing is making an impact that's meaningful to me. Those are the two, that's the difference of the two. But for someone in transition, absolutely knowing those two data points about yourself is so helpful. It's really is the starting point in learning, getting to know who you are at a deeper level, which is so critical for figuring out the next career step. And do you think everybody has a specific purpose? Absolutely. I mean, I have to say, you know, you know, purpose is such a big word and I think it means different things to different people. The way that I defined it is, is having the impact on the world or other people that is specifically meaningful to you. Now, what I've discovered is that an easy, simple way to identify that or find that impact is to look at your core emotional challenge and your wounding. And to me, your wounds, they're what define you. They're what make you unique. And so when you're able to help someone else take that wound and reverse it and help someone else that is experiencing that same kind of pain, there's no way that's not going to be meaningful to you. And so it's an easy way to just start instilling and infusing more intrinsic motivation in your life. I love that. Can you give us an example of what a core emotional wound might look like flipped around? Sure. I'll share my own. So, you know, my core emotional challenge was not being seen. And so, you know, I didn't know that until I started on my journey with my work. And that was, I think I identified this about eight years ago. But what I saw was someone else experiencing not being seen. And it resonated so deeply with me that I thought, That's what my wound is. And the way that that translates for me is that my parents didn't really understand me for who I am. That's essentially what it is. And that wound gets triggered pretty frequently for me. And it's kind of my meta wound. (laughs) There's some smaller ones, smaller supporting ones, but that is the big one. And so when I'm not being seen or understood, I get really triggered. As a result, helping other people being seen for who they are is endlessly fulfilling. And that's kind of the filter that I run anything that I do in my business through. Ultimately, if I can't use my genius, but it's going to have the impact of helping other people being seen for who they are, then it's a good thing for me to do. That's such a great guiding tool. That just changed my life right there. (laughs) It did. Yeah, I'm serious. Amazing. Can you say more about that? Because that's part of mine is like being seen for showing up in the world. And to change the lens around it, it's like helping other people. Be seen. You know, yeah, exactly. Which is what my strength has always been. You know, I recognized it, of course, a long time ago, but it was always at, uh, ahead with 
it's like wanting to be seen or feeling like you're not being seen. Yeah. Yeah. And if you just keep helping people be seen, then that will take care of the other piece. Absolutely. And how's that relate to, cause you know, chapter six of your book with part three is called joy. And then chapter six is stop equating achievements with happiness. So let's talk about achievement being driven by so, because I heard Brene Brown talk about this a while ago where it's men are driven by achievement and women are driven more by community and contribution. Yeah. Well, that, this section, this principle, the joy principle was really started from neuroscience in the sense that whenever you achieve a goal, you get a hit of dopamine in your brain. And so the reason that I chose this as a core principle was because I believe most people are achievement junkies, meaning that they think they like the work that they're doing, but they're really just, their sense of enjoyment is just that hit of dopamine from achievements. And when I studied the science of performance and learned that it's the process, if you're really going to experience joy at work or enjoy what you're doing, you have to enjoy the process of your work just as much, if not more, than the achievement of your goal and that hit of dopamine. So that was kind of groundbreaking to me when I learned that. And then when I also saw in all of my client work that most people were settling for just the hits of dopamine, that there was a world of opportunity out there, that so many people have so much more they have more joy that they can experience at work with this shift. But with that shift, and a lot of people struggle with this because the achievement junkie, our society is an achievement-oriented society. So some people can't get their heads around reversing this concept. But to me, it is, as you mentioned, the masculine versus feminine, it is kind of moving more to the feminine way and enjoying the process and going with that versus just focusing everything on the achievement. That's a big shift, but it's, it is the best way to actually experience more joy at work. So can you give us an example of that from one of your clients, maybe where they were able to unhook from that dopamine hit and like, how did they find more joy in the process? Cause I feel like it's one thing to say that, but it's another thing to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is, it's really, I think this is then where the purpose comes in as well, because when you achieve a goal, it feels like it's the difference between having a, how can I, what's the good parallel? It's like a shot of excitement versus an enduring feeling. And we are, well, I have a couple clients. I've actually had a couple clients that couldn't make this shift. And as a result, they continue to struggle with, they don't really like their job and they can't see their way out of that kind of that framework. But really it is, it's slowing down. That's one of the key pieces, which is more of a feminine trait. It's slowing down and you're evaluating what you're doing based on everything that leads up to that achievement. And you say to yourself, am I enjoying this? Is it fun? Is it exciting? If it's not, then I need to create, I need to do something different versus I think our society and most people are using the achievements as a sign of their job being a good fit or as their expression of enjoyment of work. Well, I did this and I hit this and I got this deal and I got this promotion and I got this raise. Well, I mean, everyone's telling me that I'm successful. So I am, I like work versus 
wait, I'm stressed out. I'm on the verge of burnout. I don't spend time with my family. Well, and then right after that, you discuss this concept of ditching your mentor, which I think is so interesting because so many of the books that we read about career success talk about the importance of mentorship. So why ditch your mentor? Tell us about that. Well, the reason that we said that it was really to kind of get people a little excited. Mainly the intention with that is to let people know that having a mentor is not the holy grail of success. And I've never had a mentor that's been with me over long periods of time. And I don't believe that it has negatively impacted my career. And the point of that chapter in the book was really to help people to see once again that success is not a one-size-fits-all process. It has more to do with the habits that you build and the principles that I lay out and less to do with, are you doing what your friend, your colleague, your mother, your whoever told you you needed to do? And I think having a mentor is one of those words of advice that kind of that's been passed down that people feel guilty if they don't have it, that they're missing out on something. However, with that said, if you do have a mentor, there's a lot that I offer to people in order to make it a relationship that's going to be really productive for you and the other person. Because the second issue with a lot of mentor relationships is that because it's volunteer, is that people go into it really excited and they end up kind of not getting much out of it or feeling awkward when someone offers advice and it doesn't feel right and they have to do it. There's a lot of complexity with the mentor relationship because it's not paid. And oftentimes there's a big difference between experience levels, between the mentor and the mentee. It's a whole topic to kind of dive into because I think there's, there are ways that you can maximize that to be a better experience for everyone. And also know that because it's just not, it's great if you have it, but it's, you're going to be okay if you don't have one. I mean, this has also changed a lot though in the last decade because oh. there was no internet or iPhones, right? And Absolutely. Like there was books and there's CDs you could watch. There was movies or documentaries, but now you can, your mentor could be somebody you're watching online every day. Exactly. And to help you with that, there's not a two-sided conversation, right? You're just watching a video. Exactly. I don't know. Has that changed for the way that you've taught these concepts to your clients over time? Or has it always been pretty consistent with what your material has been? This material is really to help people, I think, to deal with the concept of advice versus support, Mm. which mentor or not, I think most people struggle with in the sense that when they're feeling like they don't know what to do, it's really easy to start asking everyone what they should do. And usually it's when they're really desperate. It's like the worst thing you could do because you're so vulnerable and you don't know where to go. So you just start asking everyone and everyone starts to tell you what worked for them, which is advice. And rather, and then the person does it and then they realize that didn't work for me. Why didn't it work for me? Oh no, I'm a failure versus understanding the difference between support and advice. And I really encourage people that if you're feeling unsure, you have no direction, you don't know what to do, the worst thing that you can do is go start asking for advice for everyone. What you need is support. You need someone who's going to help you understand who you are and guide you through the process of making decisions. That's really kind of at the heart of that mentor message. 
It's such which applies, which applies to every, you know, so many to your dating life, life, to parenting, to, I mean, it just applies across the board because we're all so unique as individuals and what worked for you. I mean, you and I have talked a lot about this with motherhood, that like there are friends who did it completely differently, which is great for them. And it's different than the way that worked for us. And it doesn't make either one wrong. Exactly. And that's when going back to the earlier thing that you talked about, Mike, to me, one of the intentions of this book is that if someone's feeling lost and unsure and just they don't know where to turn, that's a moment to turn from within. What I want people to do is to learn that in those moments, we're taught to look to the outside. But I want people to start looking inside, learn who you are, pull out the tracker and start tracking, build awareness of yourself and confidence. And then you can go out into the world and start easily seeing you know, when advice is wrong and saying no to that and seeking out support when you need it. And to me, that's kind of, that's one of the intentions. All right. So that's easy to be said, right? It's like, just listen to what's going on inside your body. But if we've been disconnected from ourselves for so long and you're working with like a high achieving client that is like driven by checking the boxes, has made a lot of money, been very successful or not made a lot of money. What are steps to turn that around? Like, how do you help your clients get check in with themselves instead of all the initial thing? I mean, it's even worse now because of the fact we're so connected with everything. You just pull out that phone and you're like, you start Googling ridiculous things. You're Googling, you're on Instagram and you forgot why you even ended up there. So like, how do you help clients get to this point to be like, what is some steps to just start checking with ourselves immediately? Well, I think it depends on the problem. You know, what is this? You're saying this person could be wealthy or successful or not. Are they, you know, to me, it's like, what is their pain point? What are you trying to fix and identifying that pain point? Because a lot of most highly successful people that have made a lot of money, you know, their ego is too big to ask for help. That is usually aren't my clients. But then there are others that say, you know, I've become really successful. I've had a burnout. I'm unhealthy. And I feel like I want more purpose in my life. You know, I think this is something that naturally comes with age. I notice this with, you know, I get a lot of men actually in their mid forties getting ready to turn 50 that say, I know that I've done really well so far in my life, but I want to do things differently. And I want to be only doing work that I love. How do I do that? And, you know, in that, in those cases, they're seeking out help from someone one-on-one. I don't know if that answers your question. Right. So how do we do that? Well, I think, you know, people have to identify that pain within themselves and figure out if they want to get help or not. You know, I, I have, that's, that's a question I have for you, Mike. How do you get men to ask for help? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, so let's say you're working with me and I my come to you and the pain I have is not being seen. Great. Yeah. Right? Well, but you wouldn't know that. No, probably. no. But I Laura, would help you see that. Laura, <laughs> Laura helps me see it through our conversations. So, and in a situation where I get nervous or checked out, I start asking for advice. Right. And that's not the best situation. Like that doesn't solve the problem as we've discussed here. So what are like, what's one or two things that I maybe could do to. Yeah. To get more purpose. You mean? Yeah. 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 So, well, first off, if we were working together, I would say, Mike, you have to stop talking to everyone right now. And I want you to invest in just 
tapping into yourself. And that's what I'm here to help you do. And if your core emotional challenge is not being seen, then we would systematically go through everything you're working on and evaluate the impact of it. And if it's not in line with that core emotional challenge, then you have to think about how you can move it away or figure out other ways to get more of that purpose in your life and rethink the work that you are doing that's not having that impact. And I would help you build the skill of, and the habit really, of starting to bring that kind of evaluation more to the surface in your work life. Hmm. Well, it's a habit of, here's the big shift. It's a habit of always looking at your work as a reflection of who you are. Mm. And if it is not an immediate reflection of who you are, you have the power to proactively shift that at all times. The tracking is the way that you measure that mirror. And when it falls away, you have the information and, and the ability to say, I can make a shift. I can change this. And that to me is something that anyone can do if the data is in front of them. But usually it's the data that people don't see. Because actually looking at data is... It makes you more objective. Yeah, yeah stress and anxiety in itself. Because you're like, you can't play games with data. Exactly. For the most part, right? Well, you can fudge yeah, things you, and make it up. If you filled out the tracker every week for a month and you started one of the questions, one of the questions is, is what is the impact that you've had this week? Is that the kind of impact that's aligned with your purpose? And that question in itself would show you week over week because you'd be sitting there thinking, okay, going through your calendar, this meeting, this project, here's the impact I had. What was that impact? Is that in line with the reverse of not, you know, helping others be seen? If it's not, then that's data. And you measure that over a month. And all of a sudden, at the end of the month, you say, wow, I have done a lot of work and I'm not helping anyone being seen. That's probably why I feel this pit in my stomach. I need to make a change. Hmm. It's great. Yeah. It's such a clear way to identify what needs to go from your life exactly. and what needs to shift and, and how you can shift. Because I think it's one thing, you know, obviously we talk about doing less a lot and it's one thing to say, yeah, I need to prune my projects or yeah, I need to streamline what I'm doing and, and use my time and energy more intentionally. But this is such a useful tool to be able to identify, well, what is it that needs to go? Like you might exactly. know you're overwhelmed and doing too many things, but what needs to go? And this is giving people a way to do it that's very much aligned with satisfaction. Exactly. And that sense of fulfillment, which at the end of the day is really the only thing that matters because like, that's really the only thing that matters. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, one of the, one of the things too is that I, I guess part of this is that I see and talk to so many people and witness so much angst and strife over, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what's right. I don't know what this is. And it's, and it's so hard to get to pull out of that. And, you know, I believe that, well, again, the tracker helps people see so much that's already there. It's all underneath the surface. If you can just tap into that, it makes a huge difference. But we weren't really taught to ask these questions about no. like, what impact have I had this week? It's like, oh, well, I don't know. Right. <laughs> well, that's what was shocking to me when I started this work, you know, 10 years ago, you know, I started with my own problem and then I started just doing research and I'm constantly, I'm always reading about five or six 
new books on the science of performance and success. And this will evolve over time, obviously. But what shocked me was that the, what the reality is with the science and the research is the exact opposite with society. Why is that? And it's, it's even worse with parenthood. Oh my gosh, don't get me started on that. That's the next book. Can you explain before the parenthood, we'll talk about that, but can you give an example of what you mean the science is different than what society, I think the, I can't remember the exact phrase. Yes. But what is, so just give us like one or two examples of what doesn't line up. Yeah. So, you know, I have, here are a couple things that I think society tells us that is absolutely just not true, which is going to college is imperative for a successful career or your IQ is connected to success, or if you're smart, you will succeed, or failures are a sign that you are a failure, or how something looks is more important than how it makes you feel, mm-hmm. and follow other successful people's advice, or when you're more successful than others, you will be happy. Those yeah. are great examples of lies yeah. we're told. Exactly. And there, and there's more. And this is what was so exciting about the science and the research is that it's all there. And the principles outline it really clearly. If you're challenged intellectually, if you're having the impact that's connected to who you are, if you're enjoying the process, if you're mindful, and that includes confidence building and being aware of your negative mental chatter and building a growth mindset, and you persevere through failures, you will be successful. That's it. That's and what do you mean by successful? Well, I always encourage people to define success for themselves because that's one of the problems. We're following a definition of success that society's been handed to us or our parents have handed to us. So you have to define that for yourself. But these principles mean that you're going to progress in a positive way. And that ultimately, if you're always progressing in a positive way and you're building the habits that allow that positive progression to continually happen, you will achieve your definition of success. Hmm. Yeah. I feel like everyone, I mean, I think everyone is capable of anything. And it's sad to know that the reality of that is not true, but everyone has that capability. Everyone. Can you tell us how you first came up with the tracker to begin with? Hmm. Oh, yes. (laughs) really, you know, it came from a problem, meaning that I was working with my clients and I kept thinking, this has always been my issue with therapy. As you both know, I'm a personal growth junkie. So I've done therapy. I've done, I've done a lot of work, but what the process always seemed to not have was ways to pull data out of the situation while I wasn't in the, in conversations with the therapist or the coach. And when I was working with people, I, would, I felt like we were just talking about what they, they would say, here's what's happened, or I would come with, here's a performance goal, let's dig into this. But I always felt like I need more data. I need to know what's going on with them in between our sessions and what's happening because what they're telling me may not be real or it's just what they remember from yesterday. And so I developed the tracker and I was like, I need them to fill out something And of course I was, you know, doing the research and I said, oh, I'm going to just, I'm just going to pull this research that I'm doing into these principles and create a tracker. And I started using it and I was like, whoa, like this is a game changer for our work. I was, I, it it made a huge difference in our ability to make significant process in a shorter period of time. And it kept them accountable. 
And so it, that's when it started. It just really was from a need and then it's developed, you know, it's evolved over time. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's a great example of that, you know, I don't know who said this quote, but that the quality of our life is determined by the quality of our questions. Oh yeah. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. And I mean, your tracker is such a great example of that. Like if we're not asking ourselves the deeper questions, we're not going to get the deeper answers. Absolutely. You know, you end up kind of living on the surface. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You asked me a question earlier. I forgot. What did you ask me? Oh, I didn't know if we still needed to answer. I remember you asked me something, then we started talking about something else. Really? Yeah. How do you get men to ask? Oh, for yeah. Help? How do you get men to ask for help? <laughs> um, good question. You know, I don't, I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> I, I know. It's, I, know. Uh, I mean, the one piece is, I th- there's a lot, there's, it starts young, mm. you know, all the data that we've seen lately. And since I've been doing, I'm taking this course right now about being a male ally. Mm. And this is, it's a lot of education around being an ally for, for women and violence and just sticking up for situations. Right. It's kind of the build off of the me too movement. This women's organization put this course together. So they wanted some feedback. So I'm just going through that. And, it, and it's like a lot of it is just how to be an ally is just listening. Right. Yeah. And I feel like, so if I think about my upbringing, you know, I'll speak for myself, but I know this is really about the, uh, this goes across the board where it's the yelling of sports and coaches. And this is how we get things apart. We can't express emotions. We, mm. it's like just putting the, the mask on yourself to not let the true emotions out to express them. I mean, one of the things that Kate and I have talked about a lot of this is like, being able to express vulnerability without being shamed about it, mm. uh, you know, and, and that came from her as well. I mean, I don't know if shame's the right word, but it's like one of the biggest things that we talked about a few years ago was like, if I'm going to bring up something that I'm nervous or afraid or scared about, it's really not helpful if all of a sudden she goes into that place of that she becomes much more nervous, scared, or afraid about what I'm telling her, mm. where it's mm. like somewhat, it's her concern about what her own feelings are instead of just listening to mine in a way. I don't know if I said that correctly, but yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like with, with guys, it's, it's creating these just as much as we all need, regardless of our gender or races, it's like we all need safe spaces to express what we're going through. Mm. And a lot of times that's been demonized even within our own communities. Right. And Absolutely. so for men, I think now it's a, uh, there's definitely communities ha- taking place and there's much more stuff ending up in the public news about, I just, you know, this guy, Jason Williams, he wrote a book about um, cry like a man. Mm. You know, and this is in the, he's educating the African-American community for men and just showing up and just research that I'm just, you know, his topics and conversation and just being real. And then, I mean, I'm fascinated right now by this guy, Andrew Yang, who's running for president in 2020. Mm. Like it's out of the control. The I Yang gang about him all, the all the time. <laughs> but he's talking about emotional well-being when it comes to human beings. And he's talking about, it's like allowing mental health. And, and, and he's a dude running for president of the United States who is putting these, this conversation to the forefront, you know, and he has 73 other issues on his website and all, and it's all about, I mean, his slogan is like for humanity first. Right. And so it's not about power. It's not about, and 
you know, we'll see how this thing progresses and rolls out, but like, it's just, it's, it's about people, right? It's about us as humans. And I feel like that's the, so much has been driven by power and that, and us as men with the patriarchy have been in that power and we've taken advantage of every situation that came across. And so it's men talking about these things is what's going to create more comfort. Cause even in the be the male ally course, because they want feedback from it. So I'm going to be like, you got to put dudes here. Like yeah. there has to be this, this actually, should I share the thing about the family constellation therapy I just went through with the men and women on the opposite things? I don't know if that, I don't know. I don't know that it's relevant, oh, Okay, but maybe we can put a pin in it and share it in a future episode. Well here, no, this is relevant because this kind of answers Laura's question. Okay. I laid out my office with artwork by kind of accident where all the men like Bob Marley and John Wooden were on one side of the room and all the women were on the other side of the room. So I had all these pictures, but men and women are opposite. And this woman pointed out to me when I went through this session, she said, you've set your, like the internal beliefs is that men do these things Mm. and do these things. And so I feel like that's what we're learning now, this interconnectedness of how we can overlap and flow in life. And I feel like that's really going to help with the men's situation. Well, too, and I want to touch on one thing you said about power. I think power is another source of, that's an example of how some people have, they're not really happy with the work they're doing, but power, similar to the achievement junkie, is the antidote to that. And I think that unfortunately is still very prevalent in the business world today with, especially for men, you know, in absence of joy and loving what they do, they go for power. Wow. You know, absolutely. I think that's, and that's probably, that's like the men, the the dark side of of being a man. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think being, having joy is, it could be scary. um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that because of the way the feminist movement has gone, especially in the, you know, in the 70s and 80s, I think that a lot of women are in that position as well, where, where they've gone for power in the absence of joy. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's somewhat universal, super important point that you bring up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Wow. I have, I have one last question. Okay, great. Do you have one more question? I mean, of course, I have a million I could ask, but I want to respect Laura's time. <laughs> I'll ask you later so, when I call you. <laughs> I mean, we have had a lot of conversation, like this is a fascinating conversation. What is your intention a reader of this book walks away with? Mm. Oh, I love that. I, you know, well, honestly, I'm going to go back to my core emotional challenge. I want people to be able to see themselves for who they are. I mean, I don't want to start crying, but it's so meaningful for me for someone to really see themselves, see their genius, see the impact that they want to make in the world. That to me is such a gift and everyone should be able to see that in themselves. So that's what I really want. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, for those listening, I know we talk about business a lot on the Kate and Mike show. And I just want to say that whether you're running your own business or you're in a, or you work with somebody else or for somebody else, we can all be infusing our zone of genius into our careers, whether that's a job or a business. So I really, really recommend you go get this book. Is there anything special that people need to know about where to find it or anything, or do they just go buy it? Well, the genius is sold anywhere that books are sold. And of course they can always go to lauragarnett.com and sign up for my newsletter. And actually, if you do that, you can get a free, you get the introduction for free so they can kind of, 
get a sample and test the introduction it out. really lays it out yeah yes. and i can't imagine you're not going to want to read the book after yeah. reading the introduction awesome yeah so yeah. feel free to do that <laughs> okay and then you also do are you taking one-on-one clients now if people yes. want to work with you oh yeah absolutely yeah. that's actually that's my genius work that's where i really and in my zone of genius the most is one-on-one work with people and it brings me so much joy so yes nice amazing awesome. thank you laura this was <gasps> thank so you guys great. for this is it feels like i came over i just stopped by your house and and had three beverages <laughs> <laughs> when you come visit us we will have all the beverages we will oh have my goodness. as many as you wait. want i can't wait that is that is real hospitality people three <laughs> beverages a person <laughs> thank you Thank you. I am so excited to tell you that my new book, Do Less, A Revolutionary Approach to Time and Energy Management, is now out. You can get the book along with a workshop on how to set boundaries and say no, and a workshop on how to apply the 80-20 rule to your life so you can get 80% more results with only 20% of the work plus two Maven masterclasses over at katenorthrup.com forward slash book. And the book is available anywhere books are sold. Get your copy of Do Less.